All right, now we did a little switcheroo here, so if you're expecting a scripture reading from James, we're actually going to switch that up, and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 13 through 21, the parable of the rich fool. A great little parable. I'm curious to see where Pastor Bill goes with this today, because this is a great little parable. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I look forward to seeing where the Lord will use that this morning. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn back to that passage in in Luke that Lindsay read for us earlier. It's in Luke chapter 12. Lindsay, I'm going to disappoint you because I'm not going to um, probably expand on this passage a whole lot, although it is very relevant to what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to take you to Luke, and then if you would look up Philippians chapter 4 at the same time, and we are going to start there and then take a tour through wisdom literature and wind back up or wind, wind up back at Philippians chapter 4. So if you would want to just kind of stick a finger in, in one passage or the other. And I want to just pull one verse out of that parable that Jesus told. And that is verse 15, Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus said to them, and he's talking to uh, the people around him, to his disciples, and he said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I've highlighted that verse in my Bible because that was one of the, one of the motivating factors that drove my life. Uh, to, to, and I still struggle with that in terms of trying to accumulate possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that rebuke has come against me a number of times. And then over Philippians chapter 4 and verse, um, going to start in the middle of verse 12. This is Paul speaking here. He's in jail when he is writing this. And in Philippians 4, in the middle of verse 12, we read these words, I have learned the secret of being content 
In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, I'm not sure what it says in your bulletin for a message title, but what I want to talk about this morning, I've changed it at any rate, and what I'm talking about this morning is I'm going to take you to wisdom's literature's, wisdom's literature's secret to happiness. What is the secret to happiness? One time, a number of years ago, Al and I were on a motorcycle trip, and you probably remember this thing. We stopped uh, at, at some small town in Idaho, and, and we went into this store to get groceries. And we came outside, and here's this guy sitting on the bike. And he asks us, where are you guys going? And, and I said, I don't know. And he responded to that was, well, then you're there. Uh, and it was good to know that. I mean, it was a logical answer. But I asked a man one time, and this was a man who was discontent with his life. He wasn't happy. I asked a discontent man one time what his goal was in life, and he said to make money and to get ahead. And I thought about that answer a lot over the years. What is it, you know, if your goal is to make money and to get ahead, how do you know when you get there? How do you know when you can quit striving and you can relax? Like the guy in the motorcycle said, well, then you're there. And if your goal is simply to, to get ahead, how do you know when you're there? Let me ask you something. If you could have one thing in life, what would it be? Would you want prosperity? Would you want a better body? Would you want good health? Would you want a long life? Would you want a great marriage or a better job or a fabulous career? If you could have one thing in life, any one thing, what would it be? And if you answer, well, I want to have prosperity, I might say, well, what good would prosperity be without health? And if you answer great health, I could show you a lot of healthy people who are miserable because they hate their jobs or they don't make enough money. <coughs> and no matter... No matter what you would choose, there is probably someone who has exactly what you want and who is unhappy. You might remember Howard Hughes. He had it all. He had money, fame, and romance, and yet he was miserable. And the truth is that more money or better looks or better health, a better job, a better marriage, and even a longer life are only a means to an end. What you and I really want goes one level deeper to that. And Reese, if you would start that PowerPoint thing. What you and I really want is happiness. And happiness, according to this man, whoops, I gotta go back up to the first slide, Reese. Okay, what we really want is happiness, and happiness is a heartfelt joy that is consistent, persistent, and lasting. And scripture teaches us, I think, that you, we, you and I will only find true happiness as we discover the secret of contentment. You and I will only find true happiness as we discover the secret of contentment. Now let's, I, I want to take you to two different levels this morning. What keeps us from being truly happy? 
And then how do we find happiness? So, what keeps us from being truly happy? Sometimes we wind up looking for happiness in the wrong places. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Now this is Solomon talking here. And when you think about Solomon's issues, think about this for a little bit. Here was this young man who became king. And the Bible says shortly after Solomon became king, uh, God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And, and you can read that story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, as God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said to Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. Anything you ask for, I'll give, what, I'll give it to you. And Solomon, you know, thought about this for a bit, and then he praised God, and he said, what I need is, is wisdom to govern this people of yours. And God said, that's a really good answer, and I'm going to give that to him, but because you didn't ask for power or prestige or for wealth, I'm going to give you those two things anyway. And Solomon became not only the wisest, but the richest and most powerful man of his time. But the trouble with Solomon was that as his wealth grew, so did his arrogance. And he set aside his wisdom and the values that he knew to be right. And Solomon, by the way, his name is Shlomo in Hebrew, and it's from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. So he was the, the son of peace. But Solomon set himself on a course of trying anything and everything he wanted from hedonism to horticulture. Now those are $5 words. And basically what it means, he tried and, and, and sought pleasure in, in every way possible. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's right after Psalms and Proverbs. This is Solomon's outlook on life. It's what he, he found at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you've got Psalms, which is in the middle of your Bible, then you have Proverbs after that, and then Ecclesiastes. Solomon, at the end of his life, or in the middle of his life, he said in chapter 2 and verse 1, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses and planted vineyards. There's horticulture. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water glows of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and prophets provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, and the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desires. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, any, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He was looking for happiness, but he was looking in the wrong places. He didn't find 
what he was looking for. And the rest of a Solomon's story is a sad, sad story. In 1 Kings chapter 11, you read that his wives turned his heart away from following God. God became angry with Solomon and basically disposed of him. And in spite of all his wisdoms, Solomon was one of the stupidest people who ever lived. That word's in the Bible, by the way, so I can use it in church. Twice. What about you? What about me? Where are you and I looking for happiness? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's probably more applicable to men than it is to women. But sometimes we look for happiness in the wrong places. Another thing that causes us to be unhappy is a lack of gratitude. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12 says, Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. What on earth is that saying to us? There are things that you and I take for granted until they are taken away from us. Something as simple as going for a walk. When your feet hurt or your limbs hurt, you can't walk. And yet we say, well, what's wrong with people? Why can't you just walk? Simple things like not peeing your pants. We, we take those kinds of things for granted. And other things, things like seeing, eyes that see and ears that hear. Sometimes we take those things for granted. And because we're not grateful for the things that we do have, we start whining about the things we don't have. Let me tell you about a couple that I met. And Reese, if you would put that slide of Ahmed and Dina up there. This is a young couple. They're a Muslim couple, or they were. They're a Christian couple now. But this is a young couple that I met when I was in Vancouver. Dina. Is, is a wonderful little woman. She's about that big, bouncy, vivacious, very humble. And they have become midterm missionaries with our Baptist conference to reach out to their own people, to reach out to the Muslims. Dina and her family were refugees. They wound up in Jordan, and they became Christians there. But because they weren't Jordanian citizens, they applied to the United Nations for refugee status and were granted that. And the United Nations moved them to Ottawa. Dina went to school there. And then she wound up at Prairie Bible College. And she did four years at Prairie Bible College and then did a master's degree in teaching English as a second language at the uh, Alliance Seminary in, in Alberta and wound up going to Turkey on a short-term missions project uh, to teach English as a second language. And there she met Ahmed. Ahmed is the only Christian in his family. And the really cool thing is, I, as I visited with Ahmed, he said, well, he said, I'm the only Christian in my family. But he said, my brother, he said, my brother won't let me talk to him about Christianity. But here's what my brother is doing. My brother likes to paint. He paints pictures. And so I asked him to paint the pictures of the Bible. So, so my brother is reading the Bible, and he's painting pictures of, of, of Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? 
Uh, and, and he said he painted a picture of Jesus, you know, and where Mary is, is, is washing Jesus' feet. And, and he said, in the picture, there's only Jesus and Mary. And he said, I said to my brother, where are the other people? And he said, well, I put the other people there at first, but I painted them out because if I put the other people in, then Jesus wasn't the center of attention. This is a Muslim talking. Isn't that cool? Now, the other thing is, we take things for granted. Ahmed is blind. He's been blind from birth. And Ahmed is making a life for himself. Of all things, I discovered Ahmed is going to the, he's part of the Canadian Olympic team. He does something called the Paralympics, something called goalball. they wear those goggles is so that everybody's equally blind. Uh, there are, it's for the visually impaired and you have to have less than 10% of your vision in order to be able to see. Now, Ahmed can only see light and dark if it's in a, in a very bright situation like that. But you know, we take things like seeing for granted. And then you have Ahmed Zavadavi who says, I don't care that I'm blind. I'm going to do this anyway. And people might say to us, and Reese, if you can go back to that number two slide there. People may say to you, well, you don't understand my circumstances. You need to try and walk a mile in my shoes. Here it is. No matter what reasons you have for being ungrateful, you have more reasons to be grateful. It is impossible to be unhappy and grateful at the same time. Those two things don't coexist. If you are unhappy, you've let your focus rest on something else other than the gifts that you have been given. So if you're unhappy, that needs to set the alarm bells ringing in your head to redirect your focus and energy, and you need to make a list of all the things you should be grateful for, because then every time you notice unhappiness creeping into your thoughts, you can go back to your list and see all the things for which you can be grateful. Another reason for being unhappy is envy. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4 says that anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy or envy? And you might think, well, if I had what she has or if I had what he has, then I'd be happy. That used to be part of my thinking. But listen, look at what Solomon says. Envy or jealousy is more destructive than anger. And again, as much as it is impossible to be unhappy 
ungrateful at the same time, it is also impossible to be happy and envious or jealous of someone else at the same time because envy takes your things off the things you do have and focuses on what you don't have. And envy reflects an attitude of arrogance and entitlement. And when you are envious or jealous, ultimately misery and depression are going to rule in your life. And the antidote for envy is gratitude. Another reason you may be unhappy is that you have a sense of entitlement. Proverbs 21 says that all a man's ways seem right to him. Sometimes husbands feel they're more entitled to more than their wives provide, and vice versa. Employees may feel that they're entitled to more from their employers. People feel entitled to more from insurance companies, from the healthcare system, and from government agencies. Let me ask you a question. How often do you complain because you're not getting something that you think you're entitled to from one or more people in your life? I meet people all the time. Well, somebody owes me something. I deserve this. I deserve that. It's a sense of entitlement. And as long as our hearts are focused on what we don't have and what we think we're entitled to, we will not be happy. If you are carrying around with you a sense of entitlement, the government owes me this, the healthcare system owes me that, this person owes me that, that agency owes me that, I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that, as long as you carry that around, you will not be happy. Another thing that keeps us from being happy is foolishness. The Bible says that he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. And foolishness is our own unwillingness to look outside of ourselves. We wind up relying on our own understanding, on our own hearts, and we make our own decisions based upon our own feelings. And when you make decisions, when I make decisions that are based on feelings, we're riding a roller coaster. Feelings change. We go from happy to sad in a moment. We go to depressed. We go from loving someone to being full of anger. We go from being full of confidence to being full of fear and worry. And the person who trusts solely in his or her own heart is ultimately betting his or her future upon his own finite knowledge and the whims of feelings. It's foolishness. And then we wind up blaming God for making a mess out of our lives. So... How do you overcome that? How do you overcome the barriers to personal happiness? Number one, develop a grateful heart. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, we read, For although people, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fool. When you are being ungrateful, you become a fool. Develop a grateful heart and you can do something called treasure hunting. I talked before about making a list. Treasure hunting is where you root through your life and you make a list of all those things that are treasures. The trouble is that you and I usually don't realize the treasures we have until we either lose them or we mess them up in some way or another. But make a list, go treasure hunting. Keep that list somewhere. These are the treasures that I have in my life. These are all my reasons for gratitude. So, 
overcoming the barrier to personal happiness, develop a grateful heart. Next, eliminate your sense of entitlement. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If you have a false sense of entitlement, you will be in bondage to unhappiness for the rest of your life. Therefore, you and I need to relinquish or let go of unrealistic expectations, expectations that we may have of our government or of our employer, of our friends or our relatives, our spouses, of our children. And the upside of this is if you let go of your sense of entitlement, you will gain an increasing ability to respect and love other people unconditionally. You and I need to eliminate our sense of entitlement if we want to be happy. Also, if we want to be happy, we need to root out the weeds of envy. When you look at other people, you say, if I could just have what that person have, if I could just switch places with that person, then I would be happy. Number one, you don't know the whole story of the challenges in other people's lives. You don't know the road they walk. You don't know the compromises they made, the mistakes they've made, the stuff they've ruined in order to get where they are. Number two, everything that you accumulate in this life, you're going to leave behind. Everything. All your stuff, all your possessions, you're going to leave behind. And number three, death can take any person at any time. You know, I talk to people sometimes who have cancer or who are older and, and, and they're afraid of dying. Like, like, you know, they say, well, if I was, you know, if they were like me, then they wouldn't have to feel that way. And I, I try and remind people, like, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow any more than anybody else is. Like, I don't know what's going to what's going to come unglued in my life. There is something wrong with my heart right now that, that I found out as a result of other things that, that you know, if, if this thing pops, I'm done in about three minutes. And, and it's just one of the realities of life. And, and the glorious thing is I won't be handicapped. I'll be in glory. But it, it's just, uh, we don't know. And so if we're going to re root out the weeds of envy, we need to start living wisely and to reset our focus. All of a sudden, here's where we get back to um, Brian Ferguson. Would you go to my office? There's an orange-colored book laying on my desk. I desperately need that. Um, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, that I have learned the secret of being content. I don't think I'm there yet. I think I'm on the way. But I don't think I'm totally there yet. But I have a hunch that the secret of contentment lies in letting go of my life and holding my life in an open hand and saying to God, Whatever you decide to do is okay. I don't want to control this. And Lord, if you choose to bring <coughs> pain or sickness or loneliness or disaster into my life, it's okay. I have learned the secret of being content. 
in any and every situation. You see, wisdom is a whole lot more than knowledge. We're talking about wisdom literature. Wisdom is a whole lot more than knowledge. Wisdom involves action, and it is the effective application of truth to your daily behavior. I don't know what's happening to you when you're reading Proverbs, but there are some changes that are happening in my life. I'm, I, I trust that as, as you and I sit under the teaching and the ministry of God's Word, as you and I read God's Word for ourselves, that our lives will change, that we will shift our focus, that we will shift our practices. Yeah, we still do dumb things. But I trust that in the midst of it all, we will learn the secret of being content. Reese, would you put the words up for that song, It Is Well With My Soul? Just put the first verse up there. I don't know if you can read the very bottom of the screen or not, but that song was written by, the name, by a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford. Spafford was born in New York on October 20th, 1828. And as a young man, he had established a most successful legal practice in Chicago. Despite his financial success, he always maintained a keen interest in Christian activities. He enjoyed a close and active relationship with D.L. Moody and the other evangelical leaders of that era. He was described by a noted gospel musician as a man of unusual intelligence and refinement, deeply spiritual and a devoted student of the scriptures. Some months prior to the Chicago fire of 1871, Spafford had invested heavily in real estate on the shore of Lake Michigan, and his holdings were wiped out by this disaster. Just before this, he had experienced the death of his son. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join and assist Moody and Sankey in one of their campaigns in Great Britain, Spafford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. In November of that year, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain in Chicago. But he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead as scheduled on a ship. He expected to follow in a few days. On November 22nd, the ship was struck by the Lockhearn, an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally landed at Cardiff, Wales, and Mrs. Spafford cabled her husband, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, Spafford left by ship to join his bereaved wife. It is speculated that on the sea near the area where it was thought his four daughters had drowned, Spafford penned this text with words so significantly describing his own personal grief when sorrows like sea billows roll. It is noteworthy, however, that Spafford does not dwell on the theme of life's sorrows and trials but focuses attention in the third verse on the redemptive work of Christ, and in the fourth verse anticipates his glorious coming. Humanly speaking, it is amazing that one could experience such personal tragedies and sorrows as did Horatio Spafford, and still be able to say with such convincing clarity, it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing that song. Father, teach us 
the secret of being content. Oh, Lord, that's so easy to say and so hard to learn. Father, if we're going to be truly happy, we need to learn that secret. Help us to let go, to develop a grateful heart, to just let go and let you have control. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>